Well, good morning, LC. How was everybody's first week of the new year? Yeah. It was a good year, good week. You guys made it back. You pulled it off. You survived the cold, and you're here. Man, I'm excited about everything God has in store for us in 2017. If you missed last Sunday, we had a combined service, and man, it was amazing. Worship was powerful. God was doing some amazing things if you guys were here. And then last week, we talked about how walking into 2017, we have to have the right what if, and how sometimes we have the wrong what if because we're in a, in a bad what is. You know, if you're in a bad what is, you can have the wrong what if. And if you have the wrong what if, you're going to have the wrong what's next. So if you missed last Sunday, we would encourage you, go online, livingchurch.com. You can click the media tab and watch all the sermons that we've had here at Living Church. You can watch those, listen to those, download those, whatever. Check it out. And it'd be a great way to, to start your new year. Well, like Pastor Andrew said, we're starting a brand new series this week titled, We Are Living Church. So everybody say, we are, we are. Living Church. And you are. You are Living Church. Living Church is not about a staff. It's not about a pastor. It's not about just a team that's on the stage. But we are. We are the community of Living Church. It's all about what God is doing through all of us. And I'm excited in this series to talk about what God has up his sleeve this year in 2017. Back in July, I started talking about how there were some things that we were working on kind of behind the screen, you know, behind, uh, behind things that we would see on Sunday mornings. And our staff, our team has been working diligently at preparing some of this stuff. So in this series, we're going to be rolling out a lot of new things that God's doing here at Living Church. We're going to be talking about how we're going to become a sovereign church, which just means that we have our own internal governance. So uh, we're going to have a board of directors, board of elders. We're going to have internal governance, which is a big deal, y'all. We just finished our bylaws and got those approved through our governing body of the Assemblies of God. We just got all that approved. Um, We're going to launch partnership, membership, so people cannot just be attenders, but can be members. Big stuff, man. We're super excited about everything that God's doing. So we're going to be talking about all that in this series, and we would encourage you to be here, to hear about it, and be a part of everything uh, that God's doing. But today, at the top of this series, what we want to do is lay out a biblical guideline, a biblical foundation of what's the purpose of the church. Like all this work that we've been doing for the church, well, what's the purpose? Because if you don't know why you go to church, if you don't know why the church exists, then we kind of might as well just stay in bed. It's cold out. I was tired this morning. I don't know about y'all. I was sleepy this morning, right? Just stay in bed. But when we realize, when we understand the purpose of the church, why God created this institution called the church, we understand what the point is. And not like, what are we doing here, like logistically? Like, that's the easy one, right? We show up, we have a 915 and 11, and then we worship, and then we pray, and then we have some announcements, then we preach, then we have a response, and then we have kids ministry and youth on Wednesday nights and life groups. And Not logistically, what are we doing, but like, what are we doing? Like, what's the point? What, what's the heart behind everything that's happening here? And so as we look throughout scripture, we're going to see what the purpose of the church is. Now, there's some debate uh, between philosophers about when the creation of the church started. Like, when did the church start? And so again, I'm not just talking about living church. I'm talking about like the capital C global church, like worldwide, the body of Christ. What what are we, that's what we're talking about. So there's debate of when the church began, when it started. Some would say that the church started with God, because God himself is three persons, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God himself is a community. So some would argue that the church started in the community of God. Some would say that the church started when God made his promise to Abraham to make him a mighty nation and a great people, right, with a, a nation of so many people, more than, than sand you can count on the seashore. So some would say that's when the church started. Some would argue that the church started when the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, because once they got into the Promised Land, now his people were assembled and protected. Some would say that's when the church started. Some would say it's when Solomon and David 
finished the temple. Some would say that it's when Jesus was born, right? Remember little baby Jesus? We just talked about Jesus a couple weeks ago. And remember, Jesus there in the manger, and then people start showing up and bringing gifts. That sounds like church to me, right? And so you got the wise men, and you got the shepherds, and the little donkey, and the little cow, or whatever, right? And they're, they're having church. Some would say that's the first church. Some people might say that the first church uh, was initiated when Jesus did his first miracle. He was at a wedding, and they ran out of stuff to drink, so he turned the water into wine. And they would say at that assembly is when the church began. And then others would say the church started when Jesus called his first disciple. And he went up to a man and told him to drop his nets and follow him. I'll make you a fisher of men. And so to that debate of people talking about when the church began, my response would be, yeah, that's right. Like, all that, yeah, all, all y'all are right, all that's right. Because in my mind, all of that is just foreshadowing of what God was trying to do. God was trying to assemble a people that would bring glory to him, right? And so the church, our goal is to assemble together and to bring glory to his name. And so instead of trying to draw the lines between all of those things I just labeled, because as I was listening to those, I saw some of y'all like... Right before, instead of drawing the line between all of those things, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the New Testament church. We're going to look at what the New Testament defines for us that the church should be, understanding that the entirety of Scripture is God creating a people who will bring glory to Him. Now, if you don't know, the Bible is created, is divided into two sections the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is before Jesus. And the New Testament is after the birth of Jesus all the way until the second coming of Jesus. And the New Testament is comprised of writings written by guys named the apostles. And the apostles are people that were directly connected with Jesus or with the people that were connected with Jesus. So it's kind of a first and second generation apostleship. So Paul, remember Paul, Paul never met Jesus, but yet he was impacted by his ministry in the same day and age. And so he was able to Uh, be an author in the New Testament. So the New Testament, written by the apostles, is full of what's called epistles. And an epistle is simply a letter written by an apostle. So in the New Testament, there's all of these books that apostles wrote to churches, to local churches, giving them some direction, giving them some instructions. So when you read through the Old Testament, you're going to see books like 1 and 2 Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians or, uh, you know, all these different books, Romans, all these different books, and those books in the Bible are letters from an apostle to a church. Corinthians was written to the people of Corinth. Ephesians was written to the church of Ephesus. And so while we preach, as pastors, we preach out of those books, those words are applicable to us personally, but they're also applicable to us corporately, that as a, as a community of Christ as a church, that those words are written to us. So that's the foundation. We're going to look at what the New Testament church looked like. What were they doing? What were they accomplishing? And out of that, we can find their purpose. So our first text this morning is Acts chapter 2. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, right the very next book in the Bible after the Gospels. And it's where we get so much truth and foundation about the power of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the church. And in Acts 2, it says this, It says, they, speaking of the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, this is a powerful scripture, and uh, and just this scripture in itself, just this first line could be a whole message. But it tells us that they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so a part of the church, a purpose of the church, is to teach. One of the things that our goal is, is to teach 
what God has to say. And what do we teach from? We teach from the Bible. But I think that it's important to know that learning only happens. Have you ever been somewhere and someone's been talking and you walk out and you go, I didn't learn anything? Or am I the only person? Has it ever happened to you, right? The reason that we walk into those things, we walk out and not learn anything, is because maybe we aren't all the way devoted to paying attention to what's being taught. And so as they devoted themselves and they were taught, they began to learn. So teaching and to the fellowship. So fellowship is a major part of the purpose of the church, that we would live life and have community together, that we would get to know one another, that it's beyond just what's happening here on Sunday, which leads into the next thing, and through the breaking of bread. So breaking of bread is symbolic of not only Holy Communion, but then also being involved in community. You know, one of the best ways to get to know somebody is to eat a meal with them, right? Because you're able, you're just kind of, the, the barriers are down, you're just kind of relaxed, like bring me some more sweet tea, I need some more fajitas, right? Like it's just an opportunity to really get to know somebody. And so one of the purposes of the church is for us to be in community and break bread together, to really know each other. And lastly, in this first sentence is to pray. And now prayer means prayer, right? Prayer means prayer. Prayer means that one of the purposes of the church is that we would pray, that we wouldn't do it all on our own. So we pray on a weekly basis here in service to pray for needs, but we pray throughout the week as a staff. We have Wednesday morning prayer where people come in and pray for their needs or just pray for different things going on in our world. And prayer is powerful, and it's because of this that we do it. All right, let me keep going. It says this. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So everyone, that's not only in the church, but that's everyone in the community was amazed at the miracles being performed. Who knows that if you have miracles happening, the church is going to grow, right? You got people with no arms growing arms. Dude, that's going to be some crazy. The news is going to be here fast, right? And so what they're saying is, as the apostles were doing miracles, as they were providing uh, things for people, people became in awe. And who knows that God is still a miracle-working God today, that he can heal your marriage that is broken. He can provide financially where you see no way of provision. He can come in and heal your physical body because he's the good physician and doctor's reports don't always line up, right? And so because of that, the church was growing. So part of the purpose of the church is where we can see signs and wonders. It goes on and says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And getting a bunch of church people together and feeling like everything's in common, that's a miracle in itself, y'all. And so there were great things happening in this church. It says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in temple courts and broke bread in their homes. I think this is interesting, that it says that the church the community there, that they not only met together in temple courts, this is like a modern-day temple court, right? We come into the church building. But it says that they not only met together there, but they met together in homes, breaking bread. And so when Pastor Andrew was talking about life groups, which we're getting ready to launch again in February, that's a part of the church. That's not like a separate thing. That's a part of what God has called us to do. So one of the purposes of the church is for us to meet together in homes. It goes on, it says, uh, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So one of the purposes of the church is to praise God, that we would lift his name up, that we would shout out to God how great he is, that we bring glory to him. And this last sentence I love so much, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord 
the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So that tells us that a growing church is a healthy church. Amen? That God's purpose is not for us to come and have a little holy huddle where we all circle up and don't let anybody else in, but that we would have a place that we would say, you know what, let's bring people in, even if they're hurting, even if they're a mess, even if they got some stuff going on in life, that this is a place that was created for them. And it says that every day people were being saved. That's what a healthy church looks like. But God also says that he added to the number daily, that God did the work. And sometimes I can get discouraged when we're working and trying and planning and doing, and it feels like there's areas of the ministry that just aren't growing. But then I have to remember that I'm only called to be a steward, that all we are is co-laborers of Christ, but he's the one that brings growth, amen? He's the one that's going to bring increase. And Jesus told us this in Matthew 16. He said, now I say to you, Peter, upon this rock, I, not trust in Jesus, I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. You see, before Jesus said this, he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Lord. And so Jesus said, on this, on this truth, on this concept, on this idea, I will build my church. And so the person who builds the church, biblically, is not a personality, is not a great team, is not great music or cool-looking chairs, right? Those things don't build a church. What builds a really true New Testament life-changing church is God, is Jesus being engaged and loving his church and bringing growth. And the amazing thing is the only thing that God is doing in heaven or that Jesus is doing in heaven is interceding for you and growing his church. That's what the Bible tells us. He's interceding on our behalf. So when we pray, he's interceding to God for our needs. But the other thing that he's doing is he is engaged in growing the local church. That's because he loves it. So the purpose, one of the purposes of the church is to grow. You know, Psalms 127, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders label, the, the builders labor in vain. Then unless God's involved, unless God's engaged in what's happening, then we're just kind of spinning our wheels. We're just kind of wasting our time. And so the purpose of what we're doing here is to bring glory to God and to reach other people. So throughout scripture, there are a lot of different reasons and a lot of different purposes that the church is here to accomplish. But I think uh, that it's easy to boil them down into three overarching ideas. So we've boiled them down this morning into three concepts, three overarching ideas of the purpose of the church. Why are we here? What are we doing? The first one is this, if you're taking notes. The first is this. The purpose of the church is to minister to God. That we're here, we come together to minister to God. We're here to bring glory to his name. So when we have worship, that what we're doing is we're worshiping God and saying, God, we love you, we praise you, and we're worshiping God. That's one of our purposes. And the Bible tells us in Psalms 34, 3, it says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That when we come together, a part of our purpose is to exalt and to lift up the name of God. And who knows that sometimes you can walk into church like Pastor Elisha was talking about and even Pastor Brandon was talking about, that you can come into church with some heavy things on your shoulders, right? With some, some hurt or some frustration, maybe some depression or some anxiety. And when those things in life start to mound up and they feel really big, that when you worship God, your perspective changes. Because you start to think about how great God is and how big God is. And before you know it, your problems that seem so looming in the parking lot can start to seem manageable in the presence of God in worship. So worship is not only for God, but worship is for us. So a part of the purpose of the church is to bring glory and to minister to God. Hebrews chapter 12, 28, 
It says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, I love that, a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him. So when we worship, it pleases God. It lets God know that we trust him, that we believe in him, that we need him. So one of the purposes of the church is to minister to God. Number two, one of the purposes of the church is to minister to believers. That's y'all. Anybody in here love Jesus? Okay, if you love Jesus, you're a believer. If you have Jesus living in your heart, you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, you're a believer. And a part of the purpose of the church is to minister to the body, is to minister to the different believers. And what I'm doing right now is called preaching. Hello, right, I'm up here preaching. It's what I'm doing. And preaching simply means to proclaim truth. And so as we're here proclaiming truth, what's happening is we come in and we get fed. We learn. Our mind gets expanded out of the truth that God uh, has given us. And so while we're preaching, our heart is to do two things, is to proclaim truth and to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel. So the gospel is the good news, that no matter how bad you've messed up, Jesus loves you and wants to forgive you. So that's the good news. And the truth is found all throughout Scripture, that these things, when we learn to hide them in our heart, it helps us through life. Amen? You see, I always say that even if I found out somehow God wasn't real, this is real dangerous, but if somehow we found out God didn't exist, can I tell you that the truth in this word is still worth living your life by? That like the truth in here will help every aspect of your life. So we're here to talk about the power of Jesus, but then also to proclaim truth. And the church is here to minister to believers. John chapter 8, verse 32, it says this, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So that when we know the truth, we can find freedom. Freedom from the things that have held us back. Freedom from the things that have pushed us down. We can find freedom. You see, the church is here to help people find freedom. That's one of the purposes. It's why it's here. Is that as people come in, they don't walk out the same, but they walk out with a new truth that's been put in their heart that they can now live by. So the purpose of the church is to minister to God, to minister to believers, and the number three, to minister to this world. We're here to minister to this world. You see, before Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, he called all of his disciples together. So Jesus was betrayed, crucified, killed, and then rose again on the third day. And after he rose again, he lived on this earth for 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And so before he ascended to heaven to be with the Father, he called everybody together and he gave them what's called the Great Commission. And so in this, look at what he says. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the very end of the age. So Jesus said, listen, I want you to go. I don't want you to just come in here and hang out, but I want you to go out into the world and tell people about who I am. And when we go, he wanted us to take his word with him. You know, the Bible talks a lot about the power in the word, and it says this. Uh, It says in Jeremiah 6.10, it says, the word of the Lord is offensive. Have you ever been somewhere and somebody's been talking to you and they say something that offended you, right? I'm the only person that ever happened to you. Anybody ever offend you, right? (laughs) Sometimes when people offend us, it's because they say something that's true, right? They're like, you know, my mom and dad came into town, and my dad was like, hey, Tristan, you look like you put on a few pounds. And I'm like, thanks, dad, right? And so while it's offensive, it's also true. And sometimes a statement like that can have you go, 
oh man, I need to, I need to ch- make some lifestyle choices. So the Bible's saying that the content, the truth that's in it, sometimes can be offensive. But that is, leads to our well-being. It leads to us cutting some things out that we need to get rid of. But God doesn't leave it there. It says this in Psalms 107. It says, he sent out his word and healed them. That the word of God is like an ointment. It comes in into the places that it cuts, but then it heals us. And so when we go, right, the purpose of the church, minister to God, minister to believers, and minister to the world, that when we go out into the world, we have that understanding that our job is to show love, but also speak truth. And when we speak truth, it could be potentially offensive, but we have to do it in love. We're not all protesting and telling people turn or burn, right? What we are doing is we're loving people with grace and saying, Jesus loves me, and I know that he loves you. We're called to minister to this world. You see, the purpose of the church is not only to come and hear, but to go and tell. The purpose of the church is not just for us to come and hear, but to go and tell. So here's how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to come in on a Sunday morning, and we, you know, get all dressed up, and then we come to church, and we come and sit down on the front row, and then we worship, and then we sit down, and we learn something. And so God fills us with this new knowledge, this new understanding of his truth, and then his plan is, is that we then go. So it's not that we just gain this new knowledge and keep it in our mind and just keep it to ourselves, but that we'll take what he's done in us and take it out into the world. You know one of the greatest barriers that people have from getting in a healthy relationship with God? One of the greatest barriers that people have from really knowing who God is, is this thing right here. This. This wall is one of the greatest barriers that people have. The funny thing is, is this is only sheetrock and studs and insulation and probably a piece of plywood and then some brick. So this isn't really even that big of a barrier. But yet this barrier stops people from having a relationship with God. That's why God said to us that we need to go that we're supposed to come into the church, we're supposed to come on a Sunday, and we're supposed to get filled up. We're supposed to learn, we're supposed to be educated because we devote ourselves to teaching. And then we can go out in the world like a sponge after being filled up, and we can go to work and squeeze out a little Jesus. And we can go around our family and squeeze out a little love, right? That we can go out in this world and we can give what we have gotten. You see, the purpose of the church is not only to come here and learn, but to go and tell. And so we get excited about evangelism because the Bible tells us that there's a celebration in heaven every time somebody comes to know the Lord. And so that's one of our goals, but that's one of the goals of the church and why God created it. We're supposed to gather here on Sundays, everybody comes together, come together on Sunday and worship and get to know each other, drink some coffee in the lobby, right, do the whole thing. We're supposed to come together on Sundays, but then we're supposed to scatter throughout the rest of the week and be the light of the world. We're supposed to go and be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to go and be fishers of men, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's how God set this up. The purpose of the church is for us as believers to come in and get fed, but to go out and then feed others. You see, what we do in here is for who's up there and who's out there. That's why we do it. Now, there's a lot of stuff that we do for us. There's a lot of things that we want to do to provide for our kids and provide for teenagers and and to grow ourselves so that we can have fun and live in community. But when you boil it down, what we do in here is for who's up there and who's out there. That's the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to minister to God, minister to believers, and to minister to the world. And that idea is put all throughout scripture. Like I said, from the beginning of time, God has been setting up precedents to create for himself a people group that would bring glory to his name. And as I was reading over this week, 
uh, I realized something, that in Scripture, God uses three metaphors to help us understand the purpose of the church. And I think that he used these three metaphors just for me because I like stuff when it all starts with the same letter. I get excited, right, when I see that. And I was reading this week, I was like, wait a minute, say what? God, you just hooked this up. And so the Bible gives us three reasons, three metaphors of why, of what the purpose of the church is. Here's they are. The church is the body, the building, and the bride. You know I like that, right? The church is, he uses these examples, he draws us these word pictures to show us the purpose of the church, that we are the body of Christ, that we are a building that he can live in, and we are the bride of Christ that he is intimate and connected to. And so I want to walk through these three things quickly to help us understand what the purpose of the church is, so that in the next few weeks, as we talk about specifically what God's doing here locally at Living Church, that we have a biblical foundation of what he's doing globally through his church. So the body of Christ um, is one of those ones that we've heard about before. The most predominant scripture is in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Again, Corinthians is to the church of Corinth. So it's from an apostle to a body, to a church. And it says this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And in the text, there's a lot of other examples about the eyes and the ears and about different things that the God has put in the body. And it says, but God has put the body together. There should be no division in the body. Its parts should have equal concern for each other. And then it says this, now you are the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. So he's telling us that in the same way that the body is made up of different pieces, right? My hand is not my foot. They have different jobs. But yet in the body, they're connected. And because of each other, they can fulfill what they were created to do. That in the body of Christ, that we're all different pieces. We have different gifts. We have different giftings, different talents, different resources, different experiences, different backgrounds, different connections. We have all these different things. But when we come together, we form the church the body of Christ, and this body is able to do amazing things. And it goes on and it says, and God, listen to the very next sentence, and God placed in the church. So there's this analogy of the body coming together. And then the next sentence is, God's put together in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and helping and of guidance and of different kinds of tongues. So that in the body, God has put all these different pieces and these pieces empower the body to fulfill the mission, to, to bring glory to God and to uh, develop the believers and to reach the world. It's all done through the body. And so that's one of the illustrations that God gives us of the purpose of the church. And you see, Jesus uh, ascended into heaven, right? And he sent us the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter to be with us. And he left on this earth the church. So Jesus' body ascended but he left his body here. And so now our job as the body is to continually do what Jesus was doing. That's some good preaching, y'all. And so the church's job is to just continue the same work that Jesus' body, his earthly tent, had been doing. When Jesus was here, he walked around and he preached, and he loved, and he hugged, and he accepted, and he healed. He did all of these things. That's the purpose of the church today, because we're the new body. Jesus is now in heaven, but we're the body of Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. I gotta be careful, I'm gonna start preaching real serious here, is that we're called to be the body of Christ, man, empowered through the Holy Spirit to go out and do the things that Jesus did. That's what the church's purpose is. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. 
It says, Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay, listen to this part. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, uh, by, back and forth by the waves and are blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their dece- deceitful schemes. So, it's saying that when we come together as a body and understand what we're supposed to do, understand where we fit, that then we can come in and we can learn based on the truth. And when we get the truth in us, we won't get tricked. I've been tricked by the world before, thinking that sin was the way to do it. But the Bible says sin is only fun for a season, right? And so it's saying that when you get the word hidden in your heart, it can help you navigate life and make better decisions so we won't be like infants, right? We won't only be able to digest the milk, but we'll be able to get into the meat and learn about who God is and what his teachings are. So the body of Christ is a place that we can grow together. So first uh, analogy, first metaphor is the body. The second is the building. Everyone say the building. So I love this because God paints us as a people group that together we are a building. We are something that people can run into and find shelter and find safety and find security. That's what you do in a building, right? If there's a tornado, what do you do? Get to shelter, right? It's cold outside. You run into the building. And so the building, it provides shelter and safety for people. And the body of Christ should be the same thing. It says this in Corinthians, again, written to the church of Corinth. It says, you are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, this is Paul speaking, he said, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder, and now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have already have, Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying that in, his, in the beginning of Corinthians, that he has laid for them a foundation of Jesus right? That's what he said. I've already poured, I already got a cement truck in here, beep, 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 and I've poured a foundation, and it's called Jesus. And so now, on the foundation of Jesus, the gospel, he's going to build his church. He's going to build this building that people can then run into. And it goes on, it says, you realize that all of you together are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God lives in you. Ephesians chapter 2, so to the church of Ephesus, it says this, So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. A Gentile is anyone who isn't Jewish. So throughout Scripture, the Jewish people are called God's holy people. It's going to refer to them here in a second. God's holy people. So if you aren't Jewish, pre-Jesus, you couldn't be in a relationship with God. But thank God that Jesus changed all that, right? Because I'm a Gentile. I'm not Jewish, right? And so most of us that aren't Jewish... We're considered Gentiles, but because of Jesus, even Gentiles, even non-Jewish people have access to Jehovah, have access to God through this. It's amazing. So let me read it again. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family together. We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone, the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple of the Lord. So in these two scriptures, the church is referred to as a building, a holy temple, and a house. Those are all 
structures, right? So God is telling us that as a church that we're supposed to be a building. First Peter chapter 2 says this, verse 5. It says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. You are living stones. I think about that, living stones. So in that day, if you wanted to build something, you had to go around and collect a bunch of rocks, right? Because they didn't have Home Depot down the street, y'all. I don't know if you know that, right? So you want to build a house, you got to go get some rocks and pile them up, and you have to build a structure. You are living stones. So if if Peter were writing this today, he would say, you are living two-by-fours. You are living pieces of sheetrock. You are living pieces of plywood. You are living shingles, right? You are living pieces of building material. And so what we are is we are building material. We are the thing that God uses to build something so good. We are something that God uses to build on the foundation that he's already poured. But we just have to be willing to be put into our place. You know, when we did this building renovation, uh, there were a lot of building materials that we had to pick up and bring here and unload and things getting offloaded all over the place. A lot of material came in. And individually, those pieces didn't look very important. You know, you see a whole truck full of uh, sheetrock, just pallets of sheetrock coming into the building. It doesn't look that important. But individually, they might not look important. But like right now, I'm standing on a piece of three-quarter inch plywood. That's what this stage is made out of. There's some metal stud under it and then three-quarter inch plywood. And when it was coming off the truck, it didn't look very important, right? It just looks, oh, there's another piece of plywood getting carried in, you know? But now, what happened if this piece of plywood I was standing on just suddenly disappeared? Who knows that would be a problem for me, right? And so the pieces, though by themselves may not look important, when they come together, there's power in them. They can fulfill something. They can finish something that creates a place of safety and of comfort and environment for people to come into. So God is saying, hey, the purpose of my church is to be a building. My church is a building that I want people to be able to run into and find comfort in. It's a place that will provide safety. But it's also a place that we can fit. You know, because if we are living stones, if we are building material, then that means that God has a place for us to be used. You know, he doesn't just have a pile of stones laying around that he's not going to engage and use in what he's building. So every time somebody gets saved, every time somebody asks Jesus into their heart, God has a place for them in his house. He says, oh, you have gifts and talents and abilities, and you've been through some hurt, and you've been through this and that, and so I want to use those things as a platform for your testimony. So let me take you, and let me put you here in my house to make my house a better place. And so that's the purpose of the church, is a place for people to get connected and engaged. The metaphors are that the church is the body, that the church is the building, and the number three, that the church is the bride. Throughout scripture, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. All throughout the Bible, in Mark chapter 2 and John chapter 3, Jesus is referred to as the groom. In, Revel, in Matthew 25, there's a parable of ten virgins uh, waiting for their groom, talking about the second coming of Christ, how we need to be prepared. And then in Revelations 21 and 22, the church is called the bride of the lamb. The lamb is Jesus. And so there's all throughout scripture this idea that the church is the bride, but probably the most famous portion of scripture is in Ephesians, written to Ephesus in chapter 5. And it's a pretty uh, touchy, controversial scripture because it's generally used when people are preaching on marriage. We're going to do a marriage series here at Living Church later in the year, and we will use this scripture. Uh, But sometimes, 
people preach out of it and they take it a little bit out of context because they don't give the full application for what it means. It's the part of scripture that says, wives must submit to your husbands. And all the ladies are like, oh no, he didn't even go there today. I'm not going there today, right? But what happens is they say that part, but they don't talk about how the husband should die for the wife, how the husband has to lay down his life for the wife. So really for that scripture to make, I'm kind of on a rabbit trail about marriage, but for that scripture to really make sense, you have to ask yourselves, uh, wives, are you worth dying for? And husbands, are you worth submitting to, right? So we both have some work that we have to do for that relationship to be whole. But anyways, the author is using this illustration of marriage to point to us the connection between Jesus and the church. Are y'all with me? Okay, so it's, it's just an illustration to say this is how much Jesus loves the church. Here it is, uh, Ephesus chapter, or Ephesians chapter 5. I read this in every wedding I do, a portion of this. It says this, For we are members of his body, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Then look what it says. It says this is a profound mystery. How does this even work? I don't even know how this happens, but it happens. It's a profound mystery, right? If you've been married, you're like, oh, I really do feel connected to this person. And then it says, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So this, man, this whole marriage thing is a profound mystery to me, but I'm really talking about Jesus and the church. So the marriage piece, the relationship piece is an illustration for our connection as the body to Jesus. It goes on talks a little bit more about marriage, and it says, however, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So you see, in the beginning of this text, it says that the wife must submit to the husband, right? Well, that means that the church must submit to our groom, that the way that we live is dependent upon what he's teaching, because the groom, the husband, has already laid his life down for us. This is good stuff, y'all. And so Jesus has already laid his life down. And because he's already laid his life down, of course we would submit to what he's saying. And so, yes, this is applicable uh, to marriage as both parties are healthy and being obedient. But the illustration here is between Jesus and the church. I'm uh, getting ready to celebrate 10 years of marriage uh, to Rachel. Yeah, so we're excited. And I'm in a little bit of trouble because when we got married, I told her that I would take her back to the place we went on our honeymoon. And so our anniversary is in three months. And I should have went to Dave Ramsey like five years ago to start saving for this trip. <laughs> Help me, Jesus, right? And so we got to go back somehow. And, uh, and so we're celebrating 10 years of marriage. And man, it's been awesome. There's been some ups. There's been some downs. But we trust each other. We love each other. And I was thinking this week that, uh, that if someone were to come up to me and say, hey, uh, Tristan, I want you to know that, man, I love you. Dude, I believe in you. I got your back. I'm with you. But hey, there's one thing. I don't like your wife. <laughs> I, I don't like your wife. I, I don't really trust her. You know, I think she's an insert negative word here, right? I think she's this. I, I don't like your wife. How many of you know I would have a problem with that, right? Because she's the most important thing to me. Like she is my greatest priority and the person I'm called to pastor first. And so it's, it's very difficult to be for me if you're against her. Who knows the same thing is true with Jesus in the church? You see, it's true. You don't have to go to church to go to heaven. You don't. You could get saved, become a Christian, and never go to church. That is true. But you can't fully know Jesus without knowing his bride. 
You see, you could think that you know me. You could take me out for lunch. You could talk to me and say, man, I know Trustin. But until you get to know her, you don't really know me. Because the Bible says that two will become one. And so because we're so connected, for you to really get to know who I am and know what I like and know what I dislike and know what makes me mad, right? For you to know all those different things, you have to get to know her. And so for us, we have to understand that to really know Jesus, to really understand who Jesus is, we have to also be in community with his bride, be a part of the local church. And so my heart hurts for people that say, uh, you know, man, I, I don't have to go to church to go to heaven. I don't, I don't need to be in community. And you know, there are times that, that Rachel will do things that frustrate me. And there are times that Rachel might do things that hurt other people's feelings, right? We make mistakes. We're human beings. But just because a church hurt you in the past doesn't mean that you can just write off the bride of Christ and say, I'm never going to go to church again. That's not healthy either. That's, that's, you're swinging the pendulum too far the other direction. That we need to understand, to really know Jesus, we have to be connected to his bride. You see, uh, to know God, we have to know the thing that he loves. And what he loves is he loves the local church. And so this illustration of being a bride uh, can be kind of tough for guys to relate to because we're like, I don't want to be a bride. Like, I'm a man. I want to wear the tuxedo. Somebody else can wear the dress, right? And so, so it can be this kind of difficult thing for us to digest. But guys, listen, we already had one illustration of the body, and then the other illustration was a building. So we had building material. So we have two ultra-masculine examples. So let's just deal with it and understand we're a bride too, right? So guys, it's okay that we're the bride of Christ, right? It's an analogy. It's a metaphor. And the, the, the bride, Jesus wants to provide a couple things for the bride. He wants to do a couple things. He wants to provide for his bride, right? As a husband, our job is to provide. As a husband, our job is to protect. So Jesus wants to protect the bride. I don't have time to preach on those this morning. But third is that Jesus wants to have intimacy with us. Jesus wants to have intimacy with the church. And this is the part that all the guys go, okay, I don't know about this intimacy part, trust, and that's weird. But listen, what Jesus wants is he wants to have a real trusting, intimate relationship with his church. You know, the way that, the thing that sets a marriage apart is the trust and the intimacy. And whenever one of those things are broken, it starts to affect everything else. And so that's why you got to start working on those. And sometimes trust can be broken, but it can be rebuilt, trust me. You can rebuild those things. And so we need to have this understanding that we need to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Many times I see couples, or I see people that start dating, you know, if they're single and they go on a date. And you know how y'all used to do, right? If you were single or you single people do. You're about to go on a date, what do you do? You'll get your hair cut, right? You, you know, you get your makeup all done and start spraying on some cologne. Guys, you're ironing your shirt. You know, ladies, you're putting your spanks on. You know, all that stuff. I don't know, whatever. Right? Like, you're doing everything that you can. You're doing everything that you can. And you're putting on what's called, what I call, the A game. You're putting on your A game. You're like, I'm about to look as good as I can. And so you go on the first date, and as guys, as guys, you go on a first date, you know what you don't order? Ribs. 
because you get barbecue sauce all over the place. You, you start looking like a wreck, right? And you're like, I'm going to put on my A game. So you're sitting there with good posture, and you're using great etiquette, and you're talking philosophy, and right? You're talking about all these important things. And then what happens? Then you really get to know the person. You start to trust each other. Then you get married. Rachel and I went to dinner last night, and I ordered ribs, y'all, right? Because now I'm in a trusting relationship. She's seen barbecue sauce on my face, so I don't even care. And the reason that Jesus is calling the church his bride is because he does not only love our A game. He loves us when we look like we're a wreck. He doesn't only love us when we're primed and polished and in our Sunday best and our life is together, but he loves us when our breast stinks in the morning. He loves us when we got that crusty stuff in our eye because we just woke up. He loves us when our clothes don't match and our shirt is wrinkled. Jesus loves us no matter where we are, and that's why he calls the church his bride, because he loves us. So you see, the purpose of the church is to minister to God. It's to minister to believers, and it's to minister to the world. And the way that we do that is by understanding that we are his body, that we are his building, and we are his bride. That when we can remember and know those things, that that's how God can use us. And in the rest of this series, we're going to talk about what God's doing locally here and about our plan, our strategy, what we want to do to reach other people and to create that body, that building, that bride, what we're going to do. And so I want to encourage you to be here. Now, some of the weeks are going to be fun and exciting, and some of the weeks there's going to be parts that are very educational where we're talking about bylaws and we're talking about governance and structure. But I think it's important that we're all informed of what's happening here. Because if this is the place that you are allowing your building material to be installed, we want you to be educated on how we're doing what we're doing. And so be here for this. Before we go, um, I've got to believe that there might be somebody in the room who would say, you know what? Pastor, I'm, I'm not in a right relationship with God. I, I've got some stuff going on, and maybe you walked in and you feel really far away from the Lord this morning. Well, can I tell you something? That Jesus loves you too. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, that while we were still a mess, while we were still a wreck, Christ died for us. Jesus came to be the way that you could be forgiven of your sins. So that through his purity, he exchanges his purity for your dirtiness. And he did it for me, y'all, and I was really dirty before I came to Jesus. And I was a wreck, and I was headed in a direction that I should not be going. But then God said, you know, trust me, I want to clean you up, and I want to set you on a different path. And for you, no matter how far away you seem from the Lord, can I tell you, he's not far from you. You might feel like you're 100 miles away, but he's right there with you, just waiting for you to come home. The Bible says that he stands at the door, and he knocks. And this morning, you may feel Jesus knocking at your heart's door. You, f you feel it? Somebody feels it. And you're going, oh man, this dude is talking straight to me. It's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God will draw all men unto himself. And in moments like this, the Holy Spirit is drawing you unto himself to stop trying to do it on your own, to stop trying to handle the problems of life by yourself, but to say, God, I, I can't do this anymore. And I want to be made right. I want to be forgiven. So Living Church, all across this room, if you would close your eyes and bow your heads. If that's you, and you would say, you know what, today is my day. I need to ask for forgiveness and have Jesus come to my heart. I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand and look up at me. We're not going to stand you up. We're not going to embarrass you. We just want to pray a prayer that allows you, that helps you ask for forgiveness and for Jesus to come into your heart. So if you would say, you know what, I don't want to wait. Today is my day. I feel it inside of me. I feel God drawing me. I don't know what it is, but I, I, I need to do something. I need to make a change. If that's you on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise it up if that's you.
they would say, today is my day. I don't want to wait anymore. We had two in the first service that made this decision. Anybody in the service say, today is my day for me to make a change. Yep, I see this hand right over here. Anybody want to join this one? Yep, right in the back. I see you, ma'am. You can put it right down. Yep. Anybody else say, today is my day. I want to join these two. Living Church, if you would, just pray with me. I'm just going to pray short phrases and you just repeat them. And there's nothing special about this terminology. It's just from your heart to God's heart. Just say, dear God, forgive me my sins and come into my heart. God, from this day forward, I'm going to live for you. It may, not, it may not be easy, but I'm not going to give up because I know you love me. Thank you, Lord. Amen.